and they can start the party at Scotland. That's a brilliant goal from Gary Jones. And Henderson, oh, what a goal! Oh, he's drilled home by Steve Davis. Dear, then he comes back to Zen. Oh, he's gone! And now it's Thompson. That is a hugely important goal, which may just keep Rochdale in League One. Hello. And welcome to the RochdaleAFC.com podcast. My name is Dean and I'm joined as always by Chaff. Chaff, how are you getting on, mate? Yeah, a lot better now, mate. Thank you very much. Good stuff. And Luke, how are you, bud? I'm good, mate. Thank you. Uh, no Ryan with us this week, which is a bit of a shame since he's been here for the positivity all the way through the season. And now we finally have a few positive things to talk about. He's kind of disappeared on us uh, last few weeks. But um, we've got two Back-to-back home wins to talk about since the last time we chatted. That's three on the bounce now for Dale at Scotland. Um, it's been a strange old week in football, but I think that's probably the strangest part of it, to be honest. Chaff, um, what have you made of these wins? How much have you enjoyed them, given that we've had to wait for so long to see them? Or you know, is it tinged with a bit of frustration that they couldn't come slightly earlier to give us a better chance of getting out of that relegation battle? It's tinged with a huge amount of frustration. Not just a little bit, to be honest with you, because we've said it for, we've said it all season that, especially me and you, that we think that this squad's good enough to stay up, um, and we've said that all we want is a bit of fight. We've seen that the squad's good enough, and we've seen that we can produce a bit of fight. But now that we have done it, essentially too late. So yeah, it's very very frustrating, but I've been very glad to see some wins. Um, I don't think, well, I certainly wasn't expecting three wins on the bounce. I was expecting to possibly beat Accrington. Um, but, yeah, it's uh, it's excellent that we finally managed to, to pull some results together. We knew we could, but unfortunately may well still be a little bit too late because the results going against us elsewhere. Yeah, Luke, it's been pretty horrible to watch all the other results go against us, hasn't it? I mean, on Saturday... I said I was just going to enjoy the day and enjoy the fact that Dale had picked up three points. But then, before I knew it, Wimbledon had, had battered Swindon. It kind of felt like it was a, not all for nothing, but definitely took the sting out of the uh, the enjoyment a little bit, didn't it? Yeah, it just continues to kind of be such a weird season for the for us, for the league. Um, you know, team's form. It is frustrating like that. You know, we've, we've come into our own form and it so happens that the teams around us are winning games as well. But, you know, the other way of looking at it is um, had we not have won the games that we have, we'd be all but relegated now pretty much. Um, so we've given ourselves a chance by controlling what we can control. And um, we just got to crack on with that ethos, I think. Of, um, we, can only, we can only control and do our bit. And um, I do think we will need a bit of luck. And there is a little bit of a reliance on results going our way or elsewhere. Um, but, you know, take nothing away from the fact that, you know, we've had three good wins on the, on the bounce, which is, you know, it's been good and um, it's been a long time coming. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Jeff, what do you think the main difference has been over these last few games? I know we've, we've spoke for a long time about the lack of home form. What, what do you think has changed for us to finally start picking up wins after, you know, six months without one? Uh, a lot of it will be confidence. All it took was that one win, which I think we've alluded to for quite a while. Um, this is 
why I said in the group the other day that this this proves that the home farm was an issue and it, it, it's important because winning sort of breeds familiarity really and it it breeds confidence as well. So I think beating Swindon, a really poor Swindon, has given us a massive boost or at least has given the squad a massive boost and I think we've uh, we've benefited from that. Um, and then yeah, it was. Um, we all we, we do tend to to do well against John Coleman sides as well, um, and I just think I just think they're playing probably with a, just with the ethos like Luke said that we've just got to do what we can do, um, and give ourselves the best chance of, of staying up that we can, and I don't know whether yeah we the change into a back three um, has massively helped. I think I think we've been infinitely better since we've done that um, we said probably around the turn of the year that we when people were fit we had the we had the, the playing personnel to be able to to go with that system um, especially when Paul McShane was involved um, we had the players to fit a three at the back or a five at the back whichever way you want to look at it and um, and finally going and implementing it has worked um, so that plays a big part as well, and yeah, it's it's good to see. Stay with you for a sec, mate, because I think you touched on it a little bit there. But do you think fans will feel kind of vindicated in their opinions on BBM either way after the last few games? Because we've seen a lot of fans have have kind of defended him and backed him even when things weren't going well, and they'll maybe feel that these results were proof that we should have stuck with him. But then. People like you and me, like you said there, we, we kind of have defended the squad in a way and said that this squad can be doing better and we're now kind of being proven right that you know this team is good enough to pick up results at this level. Yeah, I think you've got a point. I think both both sides, so to speak, will feel vindicated really. Like you said there, the, the people that have been fully supportive of BBM um, will point to the fact that we've now picked up wins and, and we've given ourselves a fighting chance of staying up in a season where everybody had us down before a ball was kicked um, ourselves included um, but the, the, the people who have not I won't say not supported but not believed that he's the man for the job at, at some points or for quite a while they'll also be be feeling well it's, it, it's those lack of Tactics or lack of those lack of wins and that home form that's that's left us in this mess. And now it's it's all right doing it now, but it it might be too late. Um, why couldn't we done this weeks ago, months ago? Because um, the squad's obviously got quite a lot of quality in it. Um, but yeah, there's there's both sides will be will be saying that that they're right really. Luke, how, how have you felt watching these last few games? Have you felt kind of similar to what me and Chaff were saying there, that you know we've always felt this was um, possible for this this group of players, or did you not really see this coming? To be honest, um, no, I think we've I think we've demonstrated at certain points throughout the season the potential in the team. Um, it does coincide with having a healthier than uh, what we've kind of averaged out as with regards to player availability. Um, where we've got people on the bench who, who, who can come on and um, you know make a difference. I suppose the likes of Newby and Quadro Bar on the bench gives us options 
um, even Shaughnessy to a certain extent as well. Um, I think players have played their way into form as well, um, which has helped. You know, Jay Lynch has come in. He's looked the best he has done since he's joined the club right now. Dooley's playing all right. He's played his way into the starting eleven, and rightly so. Um, so I think it's probably a combination of picking up that that not natural confidence in, in in the momentum that you get from from getting a couple of results um, and having that belief. Um, I think that accumulated to what was one of the best performances of the season, in my opinion, on on Tuesday night. And I know we'll go into that in a bit more detail later, but. Um, probably a combination of factors where the belief is coming back, um, but there is that kind of as as you do often see at this part of a season, it's it's crunch time now where something really is riding on it. And um, I suppose as a player or as a club, when you look at it with fifteen games to go, ten games to go, you always think that time's on your side. And right now, you know, time isn't, and um, it probably gives the players an extra five ten percent because. It is now a reality, and that we are kind of in a in a relegation fight, and we've got to fight for everything and scrap for everything to stay in the league. Um, so I think what I'm trying to say is it's just a combination of of momentum, um, tactics, and um, having personnel available to us as well. I think the back three forming the relationship that we have um, is playing a massive part in in laying the foundation for us. Yeah, I massively agree with that. Um... I think a couple of points there, just on the player availability, what I would say to that is uh, we haven't had Humphreys for these three games. Lund hasn't started any of them. For me, you know, before these three games, I would have said they're probably our two most important players. So um, credit to BBM for finding a way to deal with that. But also, you kind of left frustrated again, aren't you, that he wasn't able to do it earlier in the season. I mean, I'm particularly thinking of that spell where we were stuck with a 4-4-2 for a few weeks and played Lund up there and Shaughnessy up there and it was just so clear that, you know, we weren't finding the best way to, to utilise the players we had available. Um, but you, you, moving on to the Arkington game, Chaff, um, <laughs> I don't know if it's just me and I'm bitter and I hold grudges or what, but I really, really enjoy beating John Coleman still to this day. I don't know if you agree with that. Yeah, it's always nice, isn't it? Um, his time at the club wasn't great in terms of results um, but I think the results sort of played to the lack of professionalism um, and just the the attitude that, that, that came with it and the way that he managed really um, and it left, left a, a very bitter taste in a lot of uh, in the mouths there's lots of Rochdale supporters because um, it was just amateurish some of the stories that you hear um, if it was just purely based on results I don't think people would dislike him as much as they do um, but the, the yeah the, the antics that, they, that we got up to on the field the diving the, the snide tactics the yeah it, it was horrible so it He's still disliked by an awful lot of Rochdale fans, I would uh, I would imagine, and and I'm one of them. And yeah, I always like getting getting one over on him. We got we got off to a great start, didn't we, Luke, with that um, magnificent goal from Jimmy Keohane. Nice little flip back from Rathbone, and then a great curling finish, much like the one um, that he managed a couple of days earlier against Swindon. Um, where where are you at with Keohane at the minute? For me, he's been again one of our better performers this season. 
Uh, he's out of contract. We kind of mentioned it last week, I think, off, off air. But would we give him maybe a two-year deal this summer to ensure that he stayed at the club for a bit longer, given his performances over the course of this season? Yeah, Swiss Army Jimmy did it again, didn't he? Um, like, what a goal that was, by the way. Not just the finish, but um, the, the kind of team play around it was um, it was really good. Um, yeah, for me, he, he's someone who <laughs> I would happily offer a two-year contract to. Um, he's someone who probably, do you know what? You know, I think he's scored eight goals now, um, and, and playing in the position that he has done. Teams might just look at that and, and look at it like kind of the stats and think, you know what, he'll be a good player to have in our team. And I'm talking about League One teams. Yet we talk about him as, and we did talk about him as last week, ideally a squad player, which is quite strange to say. Uh, as it is to suggest that he's a, he's a candidate for, for player of the season. But again, you know, I really like him. He puts in he puts it in every, every game and um, he's got a bit of quality about him as well. You know, these goals aren't flukes. Um, it's because he works hard to get in those positions first and foremost. Um, it's not an easy position playing wing-back. Um, it really isn't with regards to kind of getting up and down the pitch, but uh, he's mobile enough to do that. And, um, yeah, I would... Um, he, he comes across like a, a good character as well, as far as, you know, um, someone to lead by example in the changing rooms. He does it on the pitch. Um, I'd offer him a two-year contract all day long, yeah. If we've got the money. Well, yeah, that, that's always the thing, isn't it? Um, I think one point I wanted to make with Kieran is that I think he really benefits from playing in a five rather than a four. Um, just having knowing that he's got the safety of that those three centre-halves gives him a lot more freedom. And I think we all know that his, um, his qualities lie more going forward than they do defensively. And also, he... He does look backwards quite a lot, but it doesn't matter quite as much if he's looking back to one of those three centre-halves rather than the goalkeeper, um, which I think helps. It just helps like the way that he looks when he plays, you know, like the, the eye test, as we call it. Um, another player who, who got on the score sheet, Chaff, and had a great game was uh, Jake Beasley. He's been really, really improved for me in these last few games and looks like he's really um, found his feet at, at football league level now. Yeah, I'd agree. He's never going to be one that gets you 15 goals a season, but he's going to absolutely work his bollocks off every time he goes on the pitch. And that's what we've seen in recent weeks. I think he's been superb, really. Um, the amount of times, I think we mentioned it on the last podcast or a couple ago, where the amount of times where he picks the ball up around about the halfway line and, and manages to, to create something and, and get forward and, and his link-up player with the, with the oncoming midfielders is excellent. Um, his decision-making at times can let him down, but that'll come as well. And I think I think he's benefited from from being in a, a winning side in these last couple of games as well. I think he's playing with a, a real confidence about him now as well. He's doing all the hard work. He's bringing other people into play, the likes of Keoway and the likes of McLaughlin, the likes of Dooley. Um, and, and yeah, he's, he's never going to be a, a fashionable sort of player who, who's easy on the eye but he's going to work his knackers off um, and yeah I've been really impressed with him recently um, going back to the part about Jimmy Keown, um <laughs> do we actually know that he's not that he's out of contract anymore do we know anybody's out of contract anymore <laughs> uh, <laughs> going off the issues at the club um, 
all all we've wanted really from the out of contract players is for them to at least earn a contract, and I think him more than anybody else has, has, has earned the right to be off a new deal. Yeah, absolutely agree with that as well. Um, Luke, another player again who impressed me against Accrington was Ollie Rathbone. Um, in both of these games, actually, I remember a few years ago I, I saw Dale training. Um, just through work experience, actually. And I remember Callum Higginbottom was running around at training and I remember Flicker shouting, your enthusiasm is infectious, Higgy. And that's exactly what I think of when I watch Rathbone play in games like that. When he's on it like that and he's giving absolutely everything, it does seem to lift the rest of the team around him. And I thought Saturday against Aquinton was a good, uh, a good example of that. Yeah, he was all over the place. And I think that's, you know, you get different uh, different leaders, different style of leaders. Um, I don't think Ollie's necessarily one of them that um, is will, will lead kind of vocally necessarily, but he leads by example by uh, by his work rate. Um, and like you say, it's, it's got, it must be infectious because, um, and I think that's maybe where we've, in, in watching the games on the TV um, this season, We've scrutinised all his performances more because we see maybe the quality hasn't always been there. And I think the work rate sometimes, it can be a bit diluted on screen compared to when you see it live in the flesh and you can actually see how much graft and, and kind of, you know, physical input a player's putting into it. And um, we've, we, it doesn't come across on screen as, as, as well as, uh, you know, in the flesh. So, um, yeah, leading by example, good quality on the ball. Um, but just putting it in and making it difficult and being scrappy and you know winning the second balls, winning the free kicks, just through being an absolute menacing nuisance, and that's the Oliver Rathbone that we all love as you know as fans. And um, it's been good to see. It's been good to see someone like that who, what is he mid twenties or something like that? Is it? You know, but he's one of the he's he's, he's one of the. He's one of the kind of more well-established players at the football club, isn't he? He's been he's been with us a while, so it's good to see someone almost step up to the plate, you know, like that. Because I think he's capable of it. Um, so yeah, you know, he's he's done really well. Yeah, a terrific goal as well, wasn't it? Um, against Blackpool, which is something that I think it could be a legitimate criticism that he doesn't score enough for the positions he gets into, maybe. But uh, yeah, a, a good goal and two really good performances from Ollie Rathbone. Um, Chaff Luke touched on it before, kind of moving on to the Blackpool game, but the uh, the back three have been fantastic, haven't they, in these last couple of games and have really gelled together now. We saw um, Osho and, and O'Connell in particular stepping out and joining the midfield and becoming another option for those players on the ball, but um, it's been really, really good to watch, hasn't it? Those back three really seem to be settled and, and, and difficult to get past at the moment. Whoever would have thought going to a back three might uh, might work. Eh? Um, it, yeah, he's been out. They've been outstanding all three, all, all three of them, um, and Roberts as well. I'll include Roberts in that because I thought he was looking good in a in a back three as well. Um, but O'Connell is evidently quite comfortable with a ball at his feet. Um, likes to get forward. We've seen that when he's played at the back in the two, and we've seen it when he's been moved into a sort of defensive midfield role. That's the reason he's been put into a defensive midfield role because he's he's comfortable on the ball. Offshore's evidently quite comfortable on the ball uh, and likes to get forward because we've seen that in the last couple of games that he's getting forward more than anyone from her, from a defensive sort of position. Um, and McShane's the one who will sit back and organise and 
And we just look miles better when McShane's in the side. And I think I think he's been outstanding really. And he is the he's the most important of the of the three defenders for me. Um our our results with him in the side compared to when he's not in the side must be frightening. We probably look like a promotion side when he's when he's in the side. Um and special prayers have got to go to Oshaw because every single week he just seems to be outstanding. He really does. Um I think he's he's probably been my man at match for probably three games on trot for these last three games. I think he's been superb since he's joined. Um and yeah, that back three's been been really, really good. That it, it allows the, the defenders to, to push on a little bit. Um it's like Luke alluded to before, Keowain's um playing better in a in a three as in a with a back three. Um McLaughlin helps out as well. Um and we look better when he's in the side at playing at a full back. But yeah, that, that back three's been outstanding. It's been a real contributory factor to, to our farm, I think. Yeah, Luke Osho, like Chaff said there in particular, has been magnificent these last few games. Um obviously I'm not sure what Luton's squad looks like, but Judging by the fact that Reese Norrington Davies went there at the start of the season and was getting regular first team football, would you be surprised if Osho was starting in the championship for Luton next season based on his last few performances? Um, I wouldn't be surprised, no, because like Jeff said, he's getting better and better. Um, I know Matty Pearson isn't the same Matty Pearson that was with us, but he seems to be playing week in, week out for him. Um, along with Sonny Bradley, who's seen a bit of, you know, in years gone by playing against Ireland. Um, if Osho carries on playing like he is, he's, he's better than Perham, in my opinion, from what I've seen. Anyway, um, I just think just going. I just think I'd just like to talk about how good that defensive display was against Blackpool. Like we, I think Jay Lynch had one save to make, if I remember correctly, and that was from a blatant offside as well. And that was against a Blackpool team. With some, they were a good team, were they? They, they moved the ball around. You've got some good attacking players, and yet. It's not just the back three, it's the formation as well. I think with pinning teams now, when you've got O'Connell and Osho pushing on, you're pinning them to a point where they can't get out and that's taking the pressure off the defence. Back when we had the back four and we were playing it out and you know that was the kind of mentality, we, we put so much pressure on the defenders both on the ball and off it um, at times, especially when we couldn't get out ourselves and yet now we're the ones that are pinning teams in. And, you know, when they're clearing it, they're clearing it up the pitch to no one. And we're dealing with it because we've got Paul McShane, who's been absolutely incredible. He reads the ball better than anyone else when he's when he's up against a striker one-on-one. Um, so, just such a good and definitely the best offensive display I think we've, we've kind of shown this season. Um, if not, you know, struggling to remember a better one, but I'm sure there was. But um, just so good. Bodies on the line. Uh, the blocks, the sliding tackles, the headers—it was just—it was like fist pump moments, you know, in, in the game. Watching it on Tuesday, and it was through these little, these last-ditch challenges, or just the way we actually bullied them. Um, I thought Jerry Yates is a—he's a good player, clever player, good work rate, and uh, we lost them. So, um, can't remember your question, Dean. I just wanted to speak about the defense again. <laughs> no, I think I think you make some really good points there. I think. Jerry Yates did not look like an 18-goal striker on Tuesday, and I think that's 
huge credit to that back three uh, for the way they nullified him. I think what you said there about pinning back teams as well is something we've kind of talked about more in terms of like just pressing when the opposition have the ball. Now we seem to be doing that as a full team and it's making it really difficult for anyone who comes up against us. Um, and again, it's something that we've, something that I feel like we've all spoken about all season. Uh, so when we see it, it's really encouraging, but it's still frustrating just that it's taken so long to see it really. Um, Chaff on Jay Lynch, um, another clean sheet for him. Like Luke said, didn't have loads to do, but um, he's been an improvement on Bazunu, hasn't he? And I think his willingness to go long a little bit better than Bazunu, like more quality with those long balls, which Beasley has done really well in winning, has taken a bit of pressure off us, hasn't it? It means that we don't, you know, we don't always have to try and play out from the back, which has been something that the supporters have grown frustrated with over the course of the season. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, the shirts is, the gloves are his, aren't they, at the minute? Um, he's done absolutely nothing wrong, really. Um, the, I can't remember which, which goal it was against. Was it the, the Accrington one with the header? Um, he, he may have been able... He, he, he probably should have done a little bit better with that. Um, but apart from that, I think he's done really well. To be fair, I think he's looked solid. Um, I think he comes for crosses better than what Bazunu does. When a ball's in the air, I'm more confident that Lynch is going to get it than Bazunu is. Um, so <laughs> that must read a bit of confidence into the, the defence as well. Um, yeah, and, and, and going a bit more direct has helped us enormously. Um, it's not just one way of playing. Um, we, we, we can play it short, we can to one of the back three or we can we can play it up to Beasley and I don't think we've had a bit enough variety um when Bazunu's been in net so I agree with you there. Um and yeah I've been really impressed with him in the in his last well since he's since he's come into the, the team really. Um and I, there's, there's no need to change that at the minute. Only one last player I wanted to touch on from these these games is uh, Conor Grant. I think we've kind of said the same thing each time we spoke about him over the last few weeks but his confidence seems to be growing, doesn't it, game by game? And he's starting to look like someone who could turn into a real player for us. Yeah, I think you bring him up rightly so, Dean. I think he's um, he's nice to watch. And he's, um, I think the first 15 minutes of the game against Blackpool, um, he was the man. A lot of our players going through him. Um, and I think it's a sign because they were leaving, they were leaving the footing on him after that 10-15 minute mark. Because I think they realised that too much of the play was going through him for us, so they started they started fouling him um, in many in many ways, like kind of in needless areas as well. I think just to kind of show him that they were, um, you know, just wanting to get more aggressive. Um, but yeah, it's he's getting better and better, and he's only young. Um, he's picking up the experience with us, um, and it excites me for the future for Grant. He's um, he's. He's silky, and he? he slows it down, but he's effective in how he does it. If that kind of makes sense, he's he doesn't really doesn't change his style no matter how frantic the game is. He likes to kind of get the ball, take a touch, um, you know, go forward with it. And I think he's kind of learning on the job as well, and it's uh, it's showing. Uh, there's a there's a little touch in in, um, in the highlights package where um, he took the ball down with his left foot. On control and before laying it off to Jimmy Cahill, and I just thought, yeah, class. Um, he showed, he's got a lot of natural ability, um, and that's kind of 
uh, that's what's encouraging because you know the more confidence he gets, the more that's showing, and the more that he will show of it. Um, and again, I think if he's gonna if he's gonna you know go up to the next level, I think it's that kind of the the physical side of the game. Um, you know, where I think we mentioned it last week. If you if you gave him Oli Rathbone's kind of uh, tenacity and, and energy, um, he, well, he won't be with us. But um, but I think that's kind of the side of the game that he might need to work on to take his own game to the next level anyway. Yeah, I think that natural ability is something that we didn't really see in the first few weeks who was with us. And I wonder now whether that was just, you know, lack of confidence in making the step up from having only played youth football before to then going into not just the League One side, but a League One side in the midst of a relegation battle as well. It was always going to be a tough transition, but it now seems that he's coming out the other side and starting to play the game the way he wants to play it, like you say. Uh, which is really encouraging. Um, a few other bits then from the club recently. Uh, Chaffee, it seems that Aidan Roberts might have played his last game for us. Uh, looks like he's out for the season, uh, which will bring him to the end of his loan spell from Brighton. What have you made of his spell overall? It's kind of been a bit of a roller coaster, hasn't it? Really, a bit up and down. Um, on the whole, I think he's. I think he's been a good, a good player for us. Um, he's evidently got quite a future in the game I think he reads the game very well and he's he's got an unbelievable amount of confidence um, and he just wants to get hold of the ball and run with it really and and he's good he's defensively he's, he's, he's fairly sound um, needs to work on his on his physicality when he comes up against a, a big striker that seems to be his uh, a little bit of his downfall and that's where we've probably picked holes in him really, um, a little bit. But overall, I think he's done quite well, me. Um, he's never been a full-back. I think that's quite clear. Um, and I think he could have a... He'll, he'll either go on to have a, a really good career as a centre-back or somebody who can also move into like a, a defensive midfield role as well. But yeah, big future in the game. And I think he's done, I think he's done quite well for us, really. Yeah, I think he'll have learned a lot as well, won't he? Which is obviously why he's been at the club. Um, I think there was a spell there where we was maybe kept in the team for slightly too long. Um, and I think both ourselves and him will have benefited by the time he, he dropped out because I think by then we had slightly better options or more informed options in defence. And also, uh, when he's come back in since then, he's looked more like the, the player we saw at the start of the season where he was, I think for a spell, he was probably our, our best player he, at the start of the season. So overall, yeah, it's been kind of up and down. I think there's, there's, a lot for him to work on but you can definitely see um, a player in there and obviously as fans we, we wish him all the best with that uh, and, and his future career um, some players who, whose future career we won't be seeing Luke would be uh, our second year scholars none of which have been offered contracts um, apparently I don't think there's been any confirmation of that from the club yet but um, it seems pretty clear from what we've seen on Twitter and from uh, Chris Fitzgerald, that, that none of these players are going to be staying with the club despite their successes at youth team level. Um, how did you react to that news? It's kind of worrying, isn't it? We know that you know the club isn't in the strongest financial position, so maybe isn't in an area where it can take chances on young players and allow them that space to develop. But at the same time, you know, our academy is supposed to be something that's bringing through players to play in the first team and and create sellable assets so for no one to be considered you know worth that risk that's got to be worrying for supporters to hear 
Yeah, my, my initial reaction was just that none of them would have been good enough for us to have um, signed them up. Uh, that was my initial reaction. And then, um, you know, look at kind of people's comments on Twitter and things like that and um, how a couple of them, if I'm right in saying, have been picked up by championship clubs. Um, that does make you question kind of whether there's anything kind of going on there behind the scenes around, you know, financial, the financial situation. Um, I mean, I would think that if you don't have the finances to kind of be operating as a club next season or you really need to cut down the costs, you probably would invest in the younger players because they're the ones that will be on much of a, you know, much of a, a salary at all. So you actually kind of, you do sign those players up and you rely on them uh, whilst kind of the finances behind the scenes of the football club kind of uh, work themselves out in many ways. I think I remember, I remember Plymouth maybe quite some time ago, maybe when they were in financial um, trouble, they had a lot of the youngsters out. Um, likewise with Bolton, um, so that it, do, it doesn't necessarily make sense to me on that front. And then there's the fact that obviously the entire club's ethos is, is built on um, the youth setup, um, which has proven to be so kind of well, financially, it's paid for itself in many ways with the, the players that we've brought through and, and sold on. Um, maybe it was the case of the players that have moved up to the championship clubs, maybe. Maybe we were after kind of keeping hold of them, but they wanted to go and play for championship clubs at the point in the careers that they're at, maybe. Um, a lot of it is if buts and maybes, and we don't really know, but um, look at the players that we signed on last season. Um, so the likes of your Hoppers and uh, Briley, although I think Briley's a year below. Um, um, who else signed on now last Jason. season? For, yeah, so I mean, they've not exactly made their impression in the first team this season. You know, they've not brought through in any way. They've only been on the bench when we've really been struggling. So, you know, you do have to be special, I think, to, to kind of get offered a pro. And then when you do get offered a pro, you've got to be kind of really special to, to kind of be able to break into the team as well. So I'm, I'm not personally reading too much into it, but I can see that potentially it can be worrying if, you know, those theories are correct around the finance situation. Yeah, um, it, it's quite it's quite worrying in that nobody's been given a, a deal. Um, I think there's there's probably a couple that you would expect to be given deals. Um, for me, Louis Clarkson was one that um, stood out. I thought he was going to get a pro deal the first time I saw him play. Um, thought he was a really good player. Um, and the fact that we've, we've heard that championship clubs are, are coming in for a couple of these players, potentially. What we've got to remember is that even though championship clubs are coming in for these players, they're not going to be within championship clubs' first teams. They're going into an under-23s team or an under-21s team, and we don't have that facility, really. Um, there is probably a gap. Where, you know, like, we go from the under-18s straight to professional football, and if they're not going to be ready for our first team, is it worth giving them a, a professional contract? Um, you could argue, if say we took on four of these players, um, paid them, what, £1,600 a week collectively. If they're not going to play, are they going to play five games between them all season? 
would that money be better spent on on a, on, a, on somebody better for the first team? I think it's a balancing act. I think the goalkeeper Ben Charlton is probably a victim of Brad Wade having another con- having another year on his on his contract. Um, I think we'll probably see Wade as a as, as backup goalkeeper next season. And at that point, do you need another goalkeeper on a professional contract when one of, when whoever comes through the youth team this season can sit on a bench if, if need be? Um, if one of your goalkeepers gets injured, or we can use, utilize a lawn market. Um, so I, I do think potentially more has been made of it because of the off-field situation that we're in than if it then if the, if it was announced that nobody was getting a deal and we weren't having off-field issues. I don't think it gets mentioned um, anywhere near as much. Um, so it'd be interesting. I don't think the club will ever announce that 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 they've not. That they've, they've not offered a pro deal to anybody. It might come out when the release list comes out, um, and it's just assumed every year that they that they've gone. And like Lou said, these lads might have been offered deals elsewhere and decided to to take them up and made it known to us quite early on that they weren't going to accept any offer that was given to them. It, it could be something along those lines, but I guess we wait and see, really. Yeah, and a point you made, I don't want to steal your thunder here, but you, a point you made when we chatted about this earlier was there are some other players that aren't included in that really, that in that in group that will still be at the club that are highly rated. People like Peter Thomas, Ethan Briley, who we mentioned earlier, uh, Mielkowski, and who was the one? Ethan Pye as well. So I think they'll all still be at the club, won't they? So there is still going to be like a group of talented youngsters that are still signed up and still kind of available if, if needs be. If we're if we're having this same conversation in twelve months' time, and nobody's coming through, then I'll start panicking, because they are the they're the, the real standout players from our youth team. It seems every every week, um, and those four that you mentioned, they're the ones that I think we've we've been looking to to sort of nurture and and bring through quicker than a lot of the others that are mentioned. Um, so yeah, I think that's a, a really good point. Yeah, that's a fair comment. I think um, it just still worries me a little bit that you know, for a club that are trying to f- place so much focus on the academy, to have a not have a player that they don't to have a, to have, have no players that they feel are worth taking a risk on, or to be in a financial situation where they feel they can't, you know, offer those deals. Either way, it's slightly worrying to me. But like you say, I guess we'll we'll wait and see and see if these players do turn out to be good enough. Um, I think one thing as well you mentioned there about. Um, the the academies and the under 23s is a good point because we were all talking there about Conor Grant making a step up and going from under 23s football at Sheffield Wednesday to Rochdale's first team whereas you know it's kind of a step down if they're going from um, moving into Rochdale's first team as they would be because we don't have that under 23 set up to then joining the championship club um, and playing for their under 23 side so that's a good point as well I think It's crazy isn't it when you look at the numbers how competitive it is to make it as a professional footballer. Think how many kids go through the system and get released at the different age groups, under eights, under nines, under tens, whatever it is. The only the, the clubs only tend to, you know, especially at the top level, only keep a couple on each year and then get an influx again of a new batch of players. And then at the end of it, when you know it's time to offer pro deals, you're not offering any to anyone. It just shows, I think, as well, kind of how difficult it is to make it as a as a professional footballer and how competitive it is 
not just that Rochdale, but you know, right across the board. It's um, a lot of kids well, who just kind of slip through the net, I imagine. It makes you wonder, doesn't it, how certain players that we've seen in the Dale show over the last few years actually made it through as far as they did. Um, you know, I don't want to name any names too much, but there's definitely players that we've seen that we've wondered how they've managed to make it as a professional footballer. When you consider, you know, the amount of um, competition there is to do that, it's, it's quite strange to think about. Um, one other point I wanted to make, because we have to definitely keep talking about this at the minute, um, the lack of communication from the club remains to be an issue among supporters. Um, we heard that there was a board meeting on the 19th of April. We're recording this on the evening of the 22nd. We heard that you know, beyond that board meeting, we'd hear back from the club on, on a few issues. We, we heard that they would answer some questions that the trust posed to them a matter of, well, I think nearly a month ago now at this stage. Um, and yet still we haven't heard anything, have we, Chaffed? It's really worrying, um, especially given that the club have kind of committed to, to improving their communication and yet they've left us in the dark for so long behind this excuse of a, a board meeting and then three days after it, we're still yet to hear anything from them. Yeah, it's, it's, it's worrying and... Yeah, it doesn't show them in any sort of decent light, does it, at all? Um, it They're just words, aren't they? We'll improve our communication. Well, how many times have you said that? Um, it's it's nonsense, really. Um, I get that certain things in the, the, the board meetings um, are not for public knowledge. Um, but we've got some major issues, haven't we, at the minute? And some light needs shedding on these issues and we as supporters need to know that we're, we're that we're heading in the right direction and if we're not that plans are in place to to fix that and we've heard nothing again we very rarely do um the last communication was the the club feeling the need to defend um the speakmans coming to the great coming to the game and, and that's the last we heard. Um, hopefully there'll be some news filtering through soon about the, the EGM that's been called from the Supporters Trust. But if if that news does come out, it won't be the club that tells us, it'll be the Trust. Um, all the, the only good thing coming out of this is that the Trust are working the, the bollocks off for the supporters. And they're the ones that are, that are going to the club for answers and they're evidently just being ignored at the moment. Um, so, yeah, it's very, very disappointing. Luke, obviously it's been a good week or two on the pitch for Dale, but still those issues are there. And yet it does feel like maybe the conversation's moved on slightly, which is understandable. You know, everyone wants to enjoy the wins and everyone's worried about the relegation battle as well. But do you think it's important that, you know, fans aren't too distracted from the issues that are clearly uh, surrounding the club off the field at the minute, despite some improved performances on it? Yeah, it's vital, um, you know, it's, and it's almost separate what's what's going on off the pitch. Um, I think there's no doubt about it. When when we're not performing on the pitch, you start scrutinising everything, um, and maybe you know, in many respects, that what that's what led to um, things being looked into as much as what they have. And you know, um, I know there's always been a few voices of um, discontent with the powers that, that are running the club and whatnot. 
Um, but people start listening, I think, when they're not happy with what the product is on the pitch. And, you know, you get the kind of um, the fans who may not necessarily take much of an interest in how the clubs run and just like to kind of follow the dial on a Saturday and a Tuesday and watching the games. Those kind of fans that then start taking an interest. Um, but I think, I think inevitably, it is a distraction when you are winning games. It, it is, but... You know, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of fans at the club who, who are also kind of wise enough to know that it is separate in many ways, and it doesn't. It's just a it's just a plaster over the issues. Really, it's a short term kind of distraction. It doesn't change what's going on at the club or the problems that um, we've kind of experienced this season uh, at boardroom level. Um, again, the lack of communication side of it. I think almost if I'm in that position, you're almost kind of you come out and you. you you know, you, you're open and you tell the fans that you're going to communicate more. You acknowledge that you haven't communicated. So then in doing that, you, you probably want to be communicating everything, almost whether it's relevant or not, just to kind of say to the fan base, look, we're, we're taking it seriously and I'm all, we're almost going to give you too much content just to kind of, you know, um, swing the pendulum a little bit. And it's not really happened, does it? Um, and, you know, we know that there was, a, there was a meeting, like you said, on the 19th, but nothing from it. I appreciate that the primary focus will be to make sure that we get a game of football on on the Saturday and, um, you know, we get a team out on the pitch and all the organisation that goes into it uh, gets done. Um, and likewise on the Tuesday. So I do acknowledge that, um, you know, things like when we've, We've all heard of, of, of friends of the club who have emailed and have no response on, on stuff. Um, and I'd accept that, especially during the pandemic as well as the season's gone on, that, you know what, you might not get a response straight away because of the situation that the club's in. But to not get anything back from a communication level is unacceptable. Um, and there's, there's, you know, there's lads who we know who've emailed the club uh, with you know, kind of valid questions and valid kind of even offering the services and stuff like that. Yet nothing comes back, and it's just really worrying. And you know, it's almost like kind of put them in the same bracket as your politicians who you get frustrated with, where it's all talk and no action, and we've not really seen a shift since shit hit the fan a couple of weeks ago when everyone's been questioning kind of what's going on with the football club. Um, Albeit, you know, they did come out and, and, and explained in, in, in a lot of detail around um, the investors that, you know, came and watched the game the other week and, you know, who's led in the ground and who isn't and what protocols are in place. Um, but I think they were prepared for that and rightly so. And it's good to get that out. But come on, follow it up now and be consistent with what you're going to come and communicate out. Yeah, absolutely. Prove it. Prove it that you're going to improve your communication. It was just words and they've not backed it up. And, I said, I think I tweeted at the time that, that after that um, statement regarding the Speakmans, that it, it felt like some people at the club were like, well, we've done our communication thing now because we've done that one, you, you know, that one um, statement, whereas there were so many questions being asked. There was, there were just a lack of um, a follow-up on, on, the, on this this week. You know, we, we, I've been, it's been in my head for the 19th of April for a couple of weeks now thinking, well, we'll find some of those answers that the, the trust of posed to the club uh, and nothing you know so that that the club really need to pull the fingers out on that um, and plenty of other things as well might I add not just um, the communication Chaff we learned last week when uh, Richard Wilde joined us that, that Chris Dunphy's potential return to the club looks like it's pretty much dead in the water now 
what are we hoping for as fans at this stage? What are we hoping for from the EGM? Um, I mean, new investment seems to be the obvious answer, but you know, where does that come from? Because if it was easy to find, we'd have found it a while ago, wouldn't we? Yeah, we're obviously we're obviously after new investment. Um, that's not really been a secret, but I think the the urgency seems to have gone up on that front now. He seems to be talk, being talked about a lot more than what it was 12 months ago, 18 months ago. And it seems to be a massive thing now, which in itself is slightly slightly concerning, really, that it must be like getting to to breaking point. Um, so, yeah, from the from the EGM, that we, we, we want to know, really, where we stand on, on potential investors. Um, serious investors and, and who's going to come and save us it seems um, we do need change on the board of directors it's not in a healthy situation at all um, we seemingly have one person running everything um, and, and not doing a particularly brilliant job at that keeping things from supporters um, making decisions behind and not announcing contract issues and contract extensions etc which is unacceptable um, and the whole makeup of the board of directors needs improving you've got an interim chairman um, evidently with, with health issues who doesn't want to sit in that seat for very long um, you seemingly had a ready made replacement in a former chairman in Chris Dunphy but he he seems not to have the the support of the the major shareholders. I'd like to know why. I'd like to know what those issues are. Um, I don't think we ever will, to be perfectly honest. We can speculate all we like, but I don't think they'll ever come out and say why. Um, we need probably younger people on the board. We need the, the whole makeup of the board of directors seems fractured at the minute. Um, we don't have a steady chairman. Um, we have is it four in total <laughs> voting directors, and one of those is the interim chairman. So, yeah, um, action is needed very, very quickly. Um, hopefully, the EGM will bring about some some news. I don't know what news it will bring, but hopefully, it will bring about a bit of change. Yeah, it feels like something has to give, doesn't it? And um, fingers crossed that that happens in one way or the other in the coming weeks. It's um, it's a worrying time for Dale fans at the moment, uh, not least because of what's happening off the field that like we touched on there, but also you know with the relegation battle as it continues. And and it's kind of strange that in these circumstances where um, you know I think we all kind of weren't really looking forward to this season that much. We all expected to be relegated and we've not been able to go to the games and stuff. I mean, for for the season to have come to a head in this way is remarkable, really. Um, and it's been a strange week in football overall. We were hoping to talk about the Super League a little bit, but I think we're running a little bit out of time, especially if we do a game, which we tend to do, uh, and you two spend about 40 seconds on each answer. So we'll, uh, we'll move on to that game now to finish up. Uh, so it's Crew Alexandra for Dale away this weekend. Um, 
I picked out a, another game against Crew from the past. I don't know if you two were there, but I know there was a lot of drunk Dale fans in the away end at this game. Uh, it was Crew 2, Rochdale 5 on the 19th of August 2014 uh, in League One. So, uh, Chaff, you can start first, as I think you were the winner last time out. Uh, so, it's any player from Dale's matchday squad for that game at Gresty Road. And I think I can't even remember if I was there or not. Oh, I, think, I don't think many do, to be honest. Yeah, maybe that was maybe the reason. Uh, 2000, what, what year did you say? 2014, so it would have been at the start of the first season back in League One. OK, Ian Henderson. Yep, open the scoring. I vaguely remember this one because a Dale fan called Ian Murray when we left the ground came up to me and said, that was a good point, that. That's <laughs> how <laughs> uh, so drunk he was. <laughs> Matty Dunn. Yeah, Matty Dunn scored a hat trick that night. Did you know that, Luke? I knew. I, I was thinking Hendo or Dunn got an hat trick. Yeah. I'm thinking it was when it was actually that was their first game as a front two, maybe. Yeah, possibly. That rings a bell, actually. Camps. Oh, you've got away with one. He came on in the 84th minute. Josh Lewis. Oh, oh fuck <laughs> off. Every time. Jeez, uh, we'll throw a few names out and see if you can. But if, Lillis, if Lillis wasn't in there, I'll go Conrad. Yeah, Conrad was in goal. Steve Dawson. On the bench. Jamie Allen. Yeah. Lund. No, Matt Lund either. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, I go off the kits and I'm trying to picture the kit and it's that dark blue kit in it with the black trim and the first person I think about when I see that is Bastian Airy so I'm going Bastian yeah Bastian started <laughs> Noble Lazarus did he oh Luke give up mate oh see you later I'm off <laughs> uh, so I'll run through Conrad Logan in goal Reese Bennett Ashley Easton Tom Kennedy Joe Rafferty Scott Tanzer Jamie Allen Bastian Harry Matt Dome Ian Henderson the other goal scorer was Peter Vincenti uh, and then on the bench was Johnny Deba, Michael Rose, Callum Camp, Stephen Dawson, Calvin Andrew, George Donnelly and Joel Logan. So, um, another win for Chaff. Luke, you really need to improve now. It's getting, it's getting embarrassing, mate. Adding it. <laughs> right, so we'll be back in a week's time after two massive games for Dale uh, away at Crew and... A huge, huge game down uh, in the capital against AFC Wimbledon. Dales. Come on, the Dale! Come on! <laughs> uh, so all that's left for me to say this week is thanks very much for joining me, Chaff. Yeah, nice one. Cheers, mate. It's good to have some wins to talk about, isn't it? Absolutely. And Luke, are you going to scream down the microphone? We're going to do it, boys. We're going to do it. <laughs> Cheers, Cheers, mate. Uh, we'll catch you all next time. Up the Dale. Fucking do it, man. <laughs> uh, God, I wish I had your optimism, mate.